from Trinity Radio. And um, I'm actually going to ask Braxton and Jonathan to teach us their favorite apologetics argument, defending the Christian faith or the existence of God in a simple way that anyone can share it. But first, can you guys share a little bit about yourselves so everyone can get to know you guys a little better? Sure. So um, 
I uh, grew up the son of a mega church pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I don't have one of those cool testimonies that apologists sometimes have where I was an atheist and then because of all the great evidence for Christianity, I became a Christian. I don't have anything like that. Um, I was raised in the faith. I had wonderful parents. Um, I, I, I was blessed that way. But uh, Christian apologetics was important to me because as I was dating my wife, um, she was a part of a church in Nashville, Tennessee that was a bona fide cult. And so learning about cults was important for me in talking with her. And, um, and so, so we, we ultimately got married and she's had a wonderful life and ministry of her own, but that's what kind of got me into it. Also, I had a close friend who uh, was um, uh, dealing with same sex attraction. And then that led to a position where he had to choose between Christianity and, uh, and, and that lifestyle. He chose the lifestyle, rejected biblical Christianity, and then began to antagonize my faith. And so I uh, you know, began to learn more apologetics to try and deal with that issue. And so ultimately, I, I became a pastor. I was a youth pastor. I became a pastor. Then I went into full-time evangelistic ministry, traveling and speaking and preaching and incorporating apologetics into that. Got into um, a PhD program, started teaching at the school that I'm now in administration at, and uh, and now I still travel and speak and stuff. But most recently, we have started, or we have, I guess we started a long time ago, but recently we have uh, come to a small amount of prominence on YouTube uh, doing apologetics toward primarily atheists. But that's uh, that, that's pretty well me in a nutshell. Pritchett? I was the third brother of five doing whatever I had to do to survive. I'm not saying that everything, no, that way that's not my story. That's, <laughs> that's probably what I, never mind. Um, I was born by the river in a little tent. No, wait, that's still a song. Um, I was the son of accountant, actually, and I graduated from high school. I went and messed around with uh, Christian bands for a little while, became a barber, and did that for about 10 years. My associate's degree, and then I liked that, so I decided to go get a bachelor's. I liked that, and by the time I finished my bachelor's degree, I had started getting into like apologetics videos and watching William Lane Craig debates, and he always talked about Biola, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll just go get a master's now, and so I went to Biola. Um, and, and that was all right. And then decided, well, I'll just get a doctorate. Uh, and I ended up working for him. So that's kind of my, my story. I just kind of fell into this, uh, from doing other stuff. And it just kind of led me here as providential in a sense, you know? So, um, but both of you guys are, um, seminary teachers, right? The same. Yeah. Yes. And we're both professors. We're having all kinds of trouble, all kinds Susan. Of trouble. No I'm glad we're not live streaming. I'll tell you that. No, this would be great if it was live streaming. We have a need a blooper reel. <laughs> that used to happen to me um, during like service when we would like sing and the microphones or the instruments would like fall. Yeah. yeah. When when I was in a band, I used to we used to do like crazy hard rock stuff and so i've whacked myself with mic cords i've jammed my own mouth with with the mic i used to do all the wrong things you're seeing you're seeing behind yeah. the curtain here susan yeah. <laughs> all the mystique is gone <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. 
All right. Okay. So, yeah, uh, we both teach at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. And shameless plug, anyone who wants information on Trinity can get it at trinitysem.edu, trinitysem.edu. I teach our some of our evangelism courses, a couple of Old Testament courses, and uh, several apologetics courses. And uh, Pritchett, what do you teach? Biblical studies courses, apologetics courses, and uh, some philosophy courses. I think you teach some philosophy courses. Maybe kind so. Philosophy and apologetics. Neither of us teach counseling because we're not very good no, at it. Terrible at it. <laughs> but we do offer counseling courses for people who are better people than we are. What about, um, is Layden? Layden Flowers also a teacher? Yes, he is. He teaches theology, and I think he does some leadership stuff too. Mm. But um, mostly theology and, and uh, some Bible Bible courses. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, he's been here for about three, three or four years now. Yeah, we love Leighton. We've had a long relationship with Leighton. He found out about us through a couple of debates I'd had on the subject of Calvinism and, um, and, and was listening to that kind of stuff in preparation for his now famous debate with James White. And so, uh, so he found out about us that way. And then Pritchett became friends with him before I did. And we kind of connected and it's just, I consider him now to be one of my closest friends. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know, it's people can take your uh, attend your seminary online, right? Yes, anywhere in the world. We have students in what 121 different countries, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I feel like that's probably one of the more um, parent-friendly options for people. You know, that's right. In fact, you mentioned before we started that you um, you, you all were homeschoolers. And we, Pritchett's family are homeschoolers and we were homeschoolers until last year. Um, but, but I, you know, we've talked in the past about trying to augment Trinity seminary to include, um, online stuff for homeschool families like you all. Um, we haven't done that yet, but that's maybe something for the future. But yeah, for people that are already used to a homeschool type paradigm and then they get into higher education and maybe they want to study for ministry. Uh, Trinity will be, they'll be right at home with what we do because it's 100% online and you can do it anywhere. I'm actually considering it and maybe in the future I would. Oh yeah. We'd love that. Yeah. (laughs) Because (laughs) I've also heard of um, Biola, but I've heard that um, they actually have to go a few weeks, I think as part of. Yes. And it's awful. (laughs) Jonathan is a graduate of Biola. Yes. But I didn't like my two weeks in California. Um, it's expensive. You're leaving your family. It's just, it was, it was just a hassle. Uh, Biola overall is really expensive too. That's one of the, one of the differences between that and Trinity. Trinity is not quite as expensive as Biola. Now I I don't have any regrets going to Biola except for how much I spent. Yeah, I actually went to Biola for a semester and I was, um, yeah, I, I was a little hesitant about all the debt that I was adding. Yes. So I ended up just going to Cal State to finish my education. But you know, I would have I would have actually liked to have gone if not that it was so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different yeah. than going to like a public college for sure. Yeah. So I thought we'd do something that I've been wanting to do, and I think you guys are actually the perfect people to do this with. Um, because on your channel, you guys do a lot of reaction and response videos, including of like 
songs. Um, and I think it's, that's what's also really special about your channel that you guys find a fun way to talk about apologetics, you know, and theology. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're maybe the first person to say so. So yeah. I, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. We're all thinking it, just nobody does it. <laughs> so uh, today we'll be looking at uh, two lyric lines, which is actually the chorus uh, from the song Last Kiss by Pearl Jam. And uh, we're going to hear what these seminary professors have to say about it. And um, from what I've gathered, both of you guys are musicians or? Yes. On the loosest definition yes, of the uh, term there, musician. I had a, there was a time. <laughs> you know, actually, it's funny you say this because we already, for our patrons, have uh, Jonathan's song, one of the songs. Oh, a there's, couple several, of, there's about five or six. Songs. And his were like produced. They're like studio quality. Yeah. I've thought about releasing some of my stuff. Yeah. I was working on an album in 2012 and I never completed it. Which uh, is for the best. But it probably is for the best. <laughs> it's hideous. Yeah. <laughs> okay. you, what, well, you can, you do have a good singing voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you, did you guys used to listen to rock music? I still listen to rock music. Oh. I listen. I listen to everything. I listen my my playlists on my. Uh, I guess it's Amazon Prime Music or whatever. Ridiculous. So I mean, they're just uh, all over the gamut. There's not a. I even unlike him. I even like Southern gospel music, but I don't. I can listen to some Southern. I can gospel. listen to to it, but but most of the time I, I I'm listening to. Uh, New wave or retro music from the '80s, synth pop and stuff like that. Or I'm listening to uh, Sting or something like that. I have my rock thing where I, I listen to some like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses Ugh. and all kinds of. I listen to I listen to everything. I listen. Then I've, I've got my hip hop. Everybody loves too. a I good. Love, there's there's a few Guns N' Roses songs some, that everybody loves. Yeah, but love the, some Outkast and and uh, uh, Goody Mob and uh, some of the kind of stuff. Uh, get out of here. I, mean, I, I just listen to every all kinds of music. You'll find any you like of, all kinds of music. That's all you have to say. Is I yeah, like all kinds all, of music. But I mean, I mean it. But like, if you're in my car, you're gonna be listening to. I, I'm making him suffer with like Aha and. I like Aha. Everybody likes Aha. Everyone likes one song by Aha. Yeah, that's the one. Take that on one Everyone song. Likes yeah. Take on Take Me. On that's me. it. But I actually like the band. But yeah, so I, I listen to everything. Right. That's all you had to say. I listen to everything. Yeah, but I mean I, it when I say <laughs> I mean I can listen to your dad's Southern Gospel music. And yeah, we know. So with me, it is mostly rock. I'm, I really like rock music. Now I can appreciate everything. But um, my favorite band, everybody knows it since the. Uh, since 1996 has been U2. I don't know if you're familiar with the music of U2. Yeah, one song. That one famous song, right? Um, well, yeah, may, I don't know which one you're referring to, but, but uh, what's that? It's a Beautiful Day. Is that U2? Beautiful Day, Beautiful Day, yeah. 2000, yeah. year 2000 came out. Beautiful Day. Um, yeah, that's my favorite band. Uh, people find that weird because even though they all profess to be Christians, um, you know, that you would think of them as being like liberal Christians or something, but I can't help it, man. That music is just fantastic. But I was into grunge stuff in the nineties. So Pearl Jam, the, the, the band we're going to look at today. Um, 
I don't think I ever owned a Pearl Jam album, but I knew everything you Pearl Jam. 10? I didn't Everyone even own 10. own 10. I didn't own 10. I was saving up for Octune Baby, but I, but I, but I, had, but I knew all the songs. So they played them all on the radio. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, yeah. Nirvana, all Mother those bands. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what that is. Okay. Well, <laughs> I remember Candlebox. Uh, you know Candlebox? Huh? Yeah, I know Candlebox. Sorry, Susan. We were just having our own conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You Go ahead. Just, you guys should just do this video. We're going to just talk music all day. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, let's shut up. We've got to give Pine Creek plenty of stuff to rip from this video. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully he features it. I get more views. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say there's a 70% chance. Yeah. <laughs> he loves me. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're his favorite people. That's right. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. But I'm his most favorite. <laughs> so Pearl Jam. Yes. Do you like Pearl Jam or you just like the song? I think I liked Pearl Jam because of this song. I think I remember it from oh. high school. And um, I, so yeah, it's kind of a morbid song, right? Um, but it is. Yeah. it's kind of like a lot of people's favorites. It was covered by multiple different bands, like worldwide. And it usually like made it to the top charts. So um, there's got to be something about this song. Um, and I thought it was it would be a good opportunity to talk about some of those questions that just maybe people that don't even know much about apologetics they ask these questions, you know, and they try to come up with answers. But um, I thought you guys would be able to shed some insight. And um, so the first thing, well, maybe I should um, explain a little bit about the song for people that don't know it. Um, so this teenage tragedy song tells the story of a young couple who are out on a date when their car crashes. The driver, the guy, blacks out. When he comes to, he holds the girl in his arms and gives her one last kiss before she dies. He knows she's in heaven, so he's doing his best to be good so he can see her again someday. And it's supposed to be based on a true story. Um, not every detail, I'm sure. But um, from 1962 in Georgia, and um, the lady was 16 years old, and I think her name is pronounced Jeanette Clark. Um, mm. So the guy was inspired, you know, the songwriter, he was inspired by this thing. And apparently at that time, uh, this was popular with the youth to make these like sad tragedy songs. So um, yeah, the, the lyrics uh, say, um, what is it? Aware, aware. Uh, what does it say? Has my, did my baby. Aware, aware, could my baby be? <laughs> Let's see. I've got the lyrics. Hold on. I had them just here. Huh. Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, the guy, I think, uh, Eddie Vedder, like said, he found it in a thrift store, found the record and, uh, the old record of this and thought we got to cover this. So, yeah, so which part do you want? Do you want the whole song? Do you want the um, chorus? How about let's just cover the first part of the chorus. So, um, okay. Um, oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. Yeah, so uh, did the Lord take her away from him? So um, does God decree or allow a tragedy like this? And, you know, is there a difference? Um, is there some precept or versus classical um, apologetic answer? Uh, is this like 
it's like a Calvinist would answer it differently than a non-Calvinist, right? Sure. By the way, I just um, had um, Eli on um, to interview him, and he wasn't sure if you were a Molinist, Braxton. Yeah. A, a, Mol, a Molin, Braxton is a Molinist, yeah. and a Molinist would say God did decree it and allowed it because God, in God's decree, his decree was to actualize the world in which that event happened. So, yeah, so first of all, Eli is one of my great friends too. Yeah. Love Eli. Um, but uh, yeah, so a Molinist would say for the audience, I know you know this, Susan, but a Molinist would say, look, God is aware of all the ways the world could have been or would have been under other circumstances. And, but these are worlds in, you know, God, God knows these worlds where creatures are free, where people are free to make real choices. And so uh, they're not determined choices. They're what we call libertarianly free, which means that you really do have the genuine choice to choose uh, among one or more options. And so, and that nothing external to you determines those choices. So God would be aware uh, uh, of a world where maybe not everything that happens in that world of free creatures is what he ultimately wants, but that world of free creatures that most resembles whatever it is God wants, he actualizes that world. So if I have these possible worlds for God to create in front of me, um, I'm making these free choices in any given world, but God chooses which world of free creatures to actualize. So, um, the events perhaps that led to my particular choosing to do a particular thing or my, my free choice to do a particular thing are my choices, but God decreed it in that God chose which world to actualize. Now that's a little bit difficult, I think, to capture for some people the first time. They hear. Yeah, it's, it's easier. So Calvinists use the language of decree as do Molinists, but they mean slightly different things. Whereas Arminians don't hold to a decree because this is this breaks down into the understanding of Calvinism versus Molinism. Because we'll start with Arminianism. It's easy. God knows everything that's going to happen and then he creates. Okay. With Calvinism, you start off and this is think of it as a chain, but it's a logical chain, not a sequential chain, like a temporal chain. It's just kind of a logical priority as opposed to a temporal priority. But you have in God's mind, you have what is called natural knowledge. And the natural knowledge is God's knowledge of everything that he could do. Okay. Uh, insofar as what he will create. And then you have in God's knowledge that's logically subsequent to that, you have his free knowledge, which is everything that will be. And kind of between the two you have in Calvinism, the decree of God. And the decree of God is God decides what he wants to do of everything he could logically possibly do. And he decrees that. And so his free knowledge is based on the things that he decreed for every single human being to ever think, do, or say. So that's where they get this idea of not libertarian free will, but more of a uh, compatibilism, which is not the same as libertarian free will, but it's kind of saying that your free will is compatible with God's determinations that he made in his decree. So if I'm having this conversation with you on YouTube, um, I'm doing it freely 
insofar as it was my greatest desire to do this as opposed to something else, and it's in accordance with my nature, and it's also what God decreed me to do, and those things sit somehow. Um, well, the way they sit is you're having this yeah. conversation because you wanted to have this conversation. Yeah. You wanted to have this conversation because God determined that you would want That's to have right. this conversation. That's right. So a good analogy for the difference between the Molinism and the Calvinism on this um, is, is maybe something like this. Well, I need people, to explain people could, people, Let me give you an analogy. and then you okay. Because people could, people could poke holes in this, I think. But here's the way I would explain it. So I'm not a sports ball fan of any kind of sports ball. But let's just imagine that I want to really impress you with the Indiana Colts. All right. And so you, you don't know anything about this team and I want you to really like them. I want them to be your favorite team. So I've got three DVDs in front of me with three different games on them. On one game, on one DVD is a game where the Indiana Colts lose and they lose horribly. Uh, in the second DVD, they win, but they barely win. And then in the third DVD, they win and it is absolutely a great victory. All right. So I've got these three. Now, the players that took the actions in each of those games were doing so freely. I'm not causing them to do the things that they do, but I am going to determine one of those DVDs to actualize on the screen for you to see it. All right. So I get to choose and I'm going to choose the best of those three DVDs. And so I choose the one where they win and that's the one that you see, but I didn't determine the actions of the people in that game. I just determined which one to we could say actualize on the screen for you. Okay. That's what, how the Molinist kind of understands God choosing which world to, to actualize. He chooses the one uh, of the free choices that are there. He chooses the one that's most closely to his will. Whereas um, what the Calvinists would say is no, there's one DVD and everything that happened on that DVD is what God made happen through secondary causes. Yeah. So it's determinism. So I think that maybe is a good analogy. Yeah. And the way that works is you take the same logical system of, uh, of God's knowledge. You have the free, you have the natural knowledge that you have the free knowledge and you have the decree but in Molinism, they add this thing right between the decree and the natural knowledge, and they call that middle knowledge because it's in the middle of God's knowledge. That's where it gets the name. And in the middle knowledge, that's where God, uh, in a sense, using not really observation, so, so to speak, but more conceptualizes or, you know, what... Braxton Hunter would freely do if God didn't determine him to do it, but what he would do if God said, okay, Braxton Hunter is going to live, he's going to be born in 1984, right? Is that right? No, 1980. Oh, 1980. I don't remember. I don't know. Uh, you're 30. It doesn't matter how old I am. He's 39. I'm 30. That's I'm right. 30. Right. I'm, 30. So you're 39. I'm in so my you're 30s. Gonna, yeah. That's all that matters. I know, but I'm <laughs> so ready for you. I've been waiting for him to turn 40 and catch up. Um, so you were born in 80. And so God knows what Braxton Hunter would do in a world where he was born in 1980 uh, to make a church uh, pastor and pastor's wife and, and see what happens. And he knows what would be the case if Braxton Hunter was born in the 1600s somewhere in Europe. He knows all yeah. these different possible worlds and knows what Braxton would He knows what's on each DVD. Do. He knows yeah. what's on all the DVDs. And there's a... Not an infinite number of DVDs, but a, lot. but a whole lot of DVDs. And God had all sorts of options with creating Braxton Hunter free. And yeah. multiply that by every human being that's ever lived, right? So God knows what would be the case. 
uh, in any circumstance or yeah. alternative set of circumstances. So technically on Molinism, God knows a lot more than what God knows on Arminianism or Calvinism. Yeah, so to kick it back to you, yeah. Susan, though this really sounds complex, here's how I find out if someone's really a Molinist and doesn't know it. So I say to someone, all right, like say we were in a crowd and I struck up a conversation with you, Susan, and let's say you didn't know anything about this. And I said, look, Susan, does God know everything that's ever happened? And you say, well, yeah, of course God knows. Okay, does God know everything that's going to happen in the future and, and everything that's happening right now? Yeah, of course he does. And then here's the key question. Does God know what would have happened if you and I had not had this conversation right now, but had talked to other people? Does he know what we would be talking about with those people? If you answer yes, which I say most, people, most evangelical Christians would say yes, if you answer yes, then that's middle knowledge. That is to affirm God knows what would have happened under other circumstances. The clever so back to the, say no. So back to the original you know, issue here, did God, did the Lord take her away from Eddie Vedder or whoever, whoever it is? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> the answer on a Molinist account would be, um, yes, in the sense that he chose this world of free creatures. And allowed that event to happen. It could be yes, in that God may have literally stepped in, yeah. you know, in that particular case, like we see in biblical history at moments where he did actually step in for some particular, but we don't have a way of knowing that. Um, but on a Calvinistic framework, yeah, he definitely did all of that. Yeah. But on Molinism, it's still kind of yes and no, because ultimately... Um, I mean, ultimately, it was the, you know, and a Calvinist could probably say that too. A Calvinist might say, well, the, the Lord determined all of those events to conspire into the death of the lady. Right. But ultimately, God determined that woman would die unchangeably. That's the way it's going to happen. Yeah. It had to be that way. It could not have been otherwise. Um, but Molinists say, I think we're probably Molinists over way too much. We, yeah. I think we've answered yeah. probably what Susan wanted and yeah. more. <laughs> no, actually, um, it's the first time I'm learning about, um, about Molinism. I wasn't too sure. I guess I'm a Molinist because yeah, I do tend to imagine that. Well, not imagine, but think that God knows everything and, and yeah. But and knows what would have happened. And the thing about it is all the weird stuff, that people think of when they think of Molinism is just the philosophical playing out or discussing what's kind of under the hood of the automobile. When, when really what we're saying, all we're really saying with Molinism is God knows what would have happened if things had been different. That's, that's really all we're saying. And then all the stuff about possible worlds and all that, that's just us chalk, you know, trying to explain what that looks like philosophically. Yeah, boring professor. Yeah. Right. But, but if, but if you would say, yeah, God, if we hadn't had this podcast or this uh, video right now, if you think God knows what you would be doing in the other room or what me and Pritchett would be doing and that he can't be wrong about that, well, then you're a Molinist. Yeah. Well, it, it helps to think about that um, when, when like a tragedy, something happens and we ask, well, why didn't God stop it? You know, and that's when I think, well, God must have seen, you know, God must know why he didn't stop it. Sure. But um, what was I going to say about that? Sometimes I wonder about um, how much human responsibility also God allows. For example, you know, like the thing that happened, for example, to Kobe Bryant. Um, yeah, did you guys hear about that? Oh, yeah. yeah the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And so sometimes I wonder, like, well, is it because sometimes humans decide to do certain things? Like, maybe yeah. fly on a helicopter during a foggy day wasn't the best idea, you know? Yeah. I wonder sometimes if God could have stopped it, but at the same time there was some type of some type of respect God allows humans or people that take their own life, things like that. Yeah, here's the thing that we, we, have, to, we have to affirm. In any instance of evil or suffering or death in the world, God could have stopped it. I mean, he just could have. Um, but it doesn't. Because, but that goes back to a theological issue that, we, well, number one, that we actually are responsible for our actions. And that's one of the important things about free will. But another thing is we live in a fallen uh, world in which we do need a savior because if you're, you know, if you, I mean, this is something that drives atheists nuts, but if you don't want a world that has evil and suffering in it, well, that's why you need to believe in Jesus so that you can be saved and live in the world to come or that there won't be any of this anymore. But the world as it is now, God could stop every act of evil, mm -hmm. but he does not. Now, he also does, I think, prevent a lot of more evil that could have occurred but doesn't. Yeah. And I think a lot of means go into that, a lot of praying, you know, and, and a lot of, I think, making better decisions goes into that on our part. But um, so if somebody's about to undergo a life-threatening surgery, I think is, is it better to pray more fervently than not pray at all? Of course it is. And, and I do believe that God hears prayers. So I do believe that while we see a lot of evil and suffering, I'm also want to remind people to be mindful of all the evil and suffering that God prevents. Sure. That he doesn't have to do that either. Sure. You know, so. And, and so as for the evils that, and when I say evils, I mean the pain, the suffering, everything bad the bad stuff that God allows that he could stop because I agree with Pritchett, God could stop any of it. Um, the reasons for that may not always be given. So uh, it may be that the reason he allows a particularly bad thing is as a judgment for a particular thing. We do see that in biblical history, right? Sodom and Gomorrah was actually an active thing, you know, that was because there was a judgment. In, in other cases, he allows things to happen as a judgment on sin. In other cases, um, it, it may be that, look, this, this, we live in, an, in a, a world impacted by sin. It's a fallen world. Things are happening that are not as God would like them to be. But God sees what we don't see. And I'm not saying here the whole um, his, you know, his ways are not our ways thing, just, just to leave it at that. What I'm saying is that God knows how to redeem evil. So in Romans chapter five, for example, it tells us that experiencing pain and suffering builds our moral character and our integrity. It builds us into better people than we would be. Everyone knows what it's like to watch someone experience um, cancer or something. And, and, and we're actually better people watching them go through it. And sometimes they come out the other side and they're better people. You'll hear cancer survivors say, I'm glad you know, God blessed me with this disease, which to us sounds crazy. We yeah. don't want to have that. But God knew how to bring something and redeem something beautiful out of it. And the example that I always use is my brother is an adopted, he's my adopted brother. And he, how, he, how he was conceived was not something 
that God wants, according to Scripture. However, um, God was able to redeem that and bring something beautiful out of that evil thing, and that was my brother's life. So ultimately, I, I don't believe God wanted any of the pain, suffering, or evil that happened in the world. Uh, that was because of man's choice to sin and, and you know, wreak havoc in this world. But God allows evil, and there could be a number of reasons why. But ultimately, it will be to serve some greater good that, yeah. that is overarching. This, this plays out in the largest story arc in the book of Genesis with Joseph. Okay, really bad situation for Joseph that his brothers, um, you know, wanted to kill him, decided not to and sell him to slavery instead. Yeah, his long story. And what does he say in the concluding chapter of the book? You know, in verse 20 of chapter 50, he says, well, what you uh, meant for evil, God meant for good. So there's even in the first book of the Bible, you you see God and redeeming evil, redeeming evil. And, you, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen instantaneously. Sometimes it could be, you know, it, it could not you could. It could be the case that you don't even see it in your lifetime even. Like I, like I remember when my dad died of cancer back in 2009. Uh, it's, it's been 11 years almost, and I just, I can't see um, what God sees that that could have some sort of impact long-term that it was that he could redeem that situation. But I do believe that it's possible because I am not omniscient like God is. So I don't know. Um, what I do know is that my dad's life, uh, he did impact a lot of people. So even if I don't know how that, how his death affected everybody or what transpired in all the lives that he touched, but I just rest to know that there are... Even if, even if it was something that God wanted to show me, I don't know what that is. I haven't figured it out. I just know that there's something good that God has brought about or is going to bring about or that he knows about in the future that even 11 years on, I can't imagine what it is right now. Mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and I think about it you know, at least every year on his birthday and every year in November, which was the month that he died. And I come back to that and I'm wondering, you know, when he died the way that he did, and I look at my family and I look at just my immediate circle, I'm like, I still can't see, you know, what it was that's going to be redeemed out of that. But I know that it will be. And I'm sure, and it could have already been with people that I don't know whose lives he affected. But I do know that God has the potential to redeem all acts of evil for greater goods. So I don't believe that there's wasted excessive evil in the cosmos. I believe that God is a redeeming God. And so that if he allows any of it, he does have a greater purpose to it. Even if I can't figure out what that is. Well, we don't have to wonder about the types there. We are yeah. aware of the, t the ways that he brings. We are, we're aware of the kinds of things. So there are judgments. Like we say, there are, there are, uh, you know, goods that he can bring out of a, a story that he's telling. Yeah. Um, but even in the judgments, mm -hmm. the judgments may serve as the proper warning for the next generation yeah. to where a greater number of people are 
saved or whatever because of a judgment. I'm sure yeah. there's probably a lot of people who witnessed your right. dad's life and decided to make slightly differing lifestyle choices, right? I mean, yeah, but I'm just... saying even in even in harsh judgments, yeah, yeah, there's still that could serve as a warning for future, to yeah, yeah, to others too. So even when God is actively like you talk about with Sodom and Gomorrah, those active type judgments, there still could be a greater good following that. Yeah. I mean, it's better that the whole nation would repent instead of perish, but you know, when you have two of us on Susan, we tend to just take over. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. And so the second question, um, would be, um, the second part of that course. Do you have it right there, Braxton? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven. So I got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. Because <laughs> that's yeah. how it works. I got to be good. Yeah, so a works-based salvation, as you rightly pointed out, Susan, uh, in your message to us. So that is, his, his understanding is, I've got to be good enough that I earn my way to heaven. So, and here's the reason, not to uh, love God and enjoy him forever, but instead to be with my baby again. Right. <laughs> continue this date we were going to have tonight <laughs> you know it's it's interesting though um that raises any number of issues what made him certain that she was in heaven yeah how can he be certain of this yes so that's the first issue that that course raises um and then the second is i've got to be good you know? well based on his understanding of sin and salvation he may have just presumed, as good as she is, I can be confident she's in heaven. Yeah, but that also gets into what made her that. If how does he know good. she's that good? Yeah, or or if she was that good, how was would he have known the basis for that? So this gets into faith versus works and the relationship of works to faith, right? Yeah. So, and so we can't assume, make assumptions about the song lyrics, but just on the premise that let's accept the fact that maybe that she was a believer in Jesus. Okay. And that's why he thinks that she, well, it can't be just that because he's, he's saying the way he's going to get there is if he's good enough. Right. So she's a believer in Jesus and she's really good. Yeah. In but, his opinion. But he's skipping over the Jesus part and just saying, he's just I'm pointing, really yeah. good because I think there especially not so much now, but I think at the time that that song was written and still probably a lot of places in the South, the overwhelming prevalent idea in culture is even if you don't believe in Christianity, a lot of people, including some atheists, according to the Pew research, believe in a heaven or an afterlife. Yeah. And the overwhelming majority of those people um, outside of the Christian faith, think that being good, whatever that means, doing I good not even just outside. Yeah. You, you take any Christian, really strong Christian at a church somewhere and let them commit some sin that in their eyes is really horrific. And they can have all the doctrine, all the theology about um, salvation and security of the believer and all those kind of things. And they're going to start having fears. What if, what if I'm, what if, what if on the basis of this horrible thing I did, I don't get in now. Right. You know, doubting your salvation is such a thing, or it, they may frame it up as maybe I never was saved to begin with. If I'm this kind of person. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. 
but with the with the song it's 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 that prevalent idea in culture that whether they're christian or not most people believe in some sort of afterlife or heaven and they believe the way to get there is to be good or to if you have a balance more good in your ledger than bad in your ledger and as susan i think you rightly pointed out in in when we were talking about setting up the show that that is uh whether it's always admitted or not, that is an underlying doctrinal perspective in some other religions and cults. Yeah. So, well, for ours, how do people get to heaven? Well, um, the, the Bible teaches that you are to trust, have faith in Jesus, um, to repent, to turn from your life of sin to a life serving the Lord Jesus. And um, so, so um, if you uh, um, Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's it's trusting. Um, Acts chapter two thirty nine, Acts two thirty nine, maybe I don't know. It, it talks about repentance. We've got to repent. We've got to trust the Lord in repentance, and um, and that means to turn. But see now, that's that's something. If you take some other uh, cults of Christianity, for example, like Mormonism, um, they'll use the same terminology. Now, they don't even set this up the same way, but they may have some of the same terms. Uh, Mormonism has all, takes all the, same, all the terms we have and gives them different meanings, different understandings. So within Mormonism, repentance is chalked up to uh, not just turning from not not just a turning from the life the way you're living it now but now entails you faithfully uh you you being faithful to christ and making those obedient decisions all the way so that you end up getting this earning of the salvation now that sounds nuanced from our understanding we also want you to turn from a life of sin but it's with the understanding that the penalty has already been paid by christ so for us um repent trust in the Lord Jesus and, um, and, and serve him. Yeah. And when you're empowered with the Holy spirit, you do, we believe that Christians do the good things that they do because God is at work in our lives through the Holy spirit, enabling us to go do these things and prompting us to go do these things. Um, but that's not how we, that's not how we, get to heaven, so to speak. That's not how we're saved. We're saved because of our trusting in what Jesus did to save us. What we do is our gratitude response to what Jesus did. This is how we show our gratitude and thanksgiving for what he did on the cross for us and our sins so that we didn't, we don't have to suffer the penalty of our sins because we believe he did that. And what he did was sufficient to satisfy our debt that we owe for our sin. Now, because of that, and because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we go and do good things. Um, and all the good things that we do, we do because we have the Holy Spirit has empowered and enabled and filled us to do those things. So I had a snafu in my brain. It's Acts 2.38. Yeah. I was one verse off. <laughs> okay. You feel better now? I do. Okay. But <laughs> others, they believe... Jesus's sacrifice, you believe in Jesus's sacrifice, that gets your foot in the door and you need to keep, you need to start doing some works and they'll say, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit, but you better make sure that you're doing those works 
because it's those works that maintain your salvation it, that, in a sense that are completed yeah uh, in, in a sense that that Jesus is one half of the equation and your effort is the other half of the equation. Mm -hmm. And so you take those two together and that's, uh, and, and hope that when, when you're judged, it's the Jesus plus your balance sheet. Or in some, you know, like with certain, um, branches of Christianity, like, uh, you know, the sacraments or something, yeah. as long as you're staying underneath those, you're continuing to get, it's the Jesus that's saving you, but you got to remember to stay underneath Jesus that way. Yeah. Kind of like that. So, yeah. But, the, but to answer the question, it's not hard. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and follow him. Yeah. And then watch what happens to your life. If you continue to follow him, Yeah, your life will be different. Um, but this poor fella has bought into not only the prevalent sense of what we'll just call a gen generic pagan idea of heaven, but also some false Christianity ideas about how to get to heaven. And in this particular song, they leave the Jesus out of it. So it's more of the pagan uh, sense of if I'm just good enough. Now, I'm wondering where they got that idea from. Because you don't get that idea really from the Bible, but it's interesting that people have this idea that there is an afterlife and you can get there by being good, but where did they get that information from? Because what makes them think that those two things are true? Is it, is it like, you know, like Catholicism? Probably. Doesn't that go back like... like well, even if... Yeah, even 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 if they heard it from Catholicism or one of these cults, it still has its origins within Christianity, which even predates Islam. So this idea is a borrowed idea. Well, but I mean, it, it, you can go back further. You can go back further to say Plato and uh, Phaedrus, for example, that dialogue. Okay, uh, Socrates is talking about the same thing. Uh, you know, a good 400 years before Jesus, you're going to face a judgment at your death because he's what he's doing in this is arguing for the immortality of the soul and that upon physical death, you face judgment. And at the judgment, the gods, the pantheon, you know, in, in Greek religion, um, they're going to judge you and you can either go to Hades, which is the bad place, um, or you can ascend, you know, more or less, uh, and continue on in, in a, some sort of blissful paradise. So that predates Jesus, but I don't think most people are pulling from I don't think it's that. Plato. I think what it is, is it's, it's a misunderstanding of yeah. the warning passages. It's a misunderstanding. Uh, it's, it's a doctrinal misunderstanding of, you know, things that Jesus said, uh, thing like, Things that, you know, why do you call yourself my disciple and you don't do what I say? Um, that you'll know them by their fruits. You know, th these kind of things take in a certain way, give you that impression. Plus, you couple that with our experiential uh, knowledge that when we do sin, there is this experience of incredible conviction and guilt that is frightening, you know. Um, and we know what it's like in human relationships to up someone, upset someone enough and then they turn their back on you. And it's difficult to imagine that our God loves us so much that when we are unfaithful to him so many times that he would remain faithful to us. But he does remain faithful to us. Sure. 
So Eddie Vedder and whoever he's echoing is wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it, but what they're echoing is the sentiment and culture that's prevalent. And one of the things, like if you're, if you, if you ever do any, any kind of evangelism on the street and you talk to somebody who's not a Christian, they're going to, they're likely to tell you, especially in the South. Well, if I'm a good person and I'll go to heaven, mm -hmm. I don't need your religion. If I'm just good, I will go to heaven. Me and God have an understanding. I've heard that one. Yeah. So yeah. what you have to do is you have to ask that person, where did that information come from? Did it come from a holy book? And what are what, what is the veracity of that holy book? What is the reliability of that holy book? Because to me, I'm going to tell them, you're, it sounds like Christianity, unless you're reading Phaedo. So if um, if you're not a... Platonist, the where did you get this information from? And ninety-nine percent of the time, you're going to find out. Well, I've just kind of heard that. My mama told me. Yeah, that. my mama told me that, or or whatever. And Everybody you, knows that. But if you dig down deeper, generally, you're going to find out that that they've heard it from Christians. Yeah. Um, but they liked the, it. They 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 like the go to heaven when they die, and I'm a relatively good person because I haven't murdered anybody. They like that without the Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's just it's a borrowing from Christianity. And so if you're witnessing and evangelizing, that's where you don't let them off the hook. So you can't have the parts you like and not the parts you don't like because the parts about Jesus, that's what guaranteed the other thing. That's what guaranteed. And sadly, if the person, yeah. if the person who's singing this song really believes what he's saying, he has less of a chance of seeing his baby again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good insights, guys. Um, <laughs> Man, we are rambling today, Bridget. <laughs> no, I didn't even think about a lot of those points that you guys brought up. Um, how about uh, the last thing? You, each of you can um, explain in a super simple way your favorite um, apologetics argument or, you know, just the average normal person that doesn't know much about apologetics, how um, someone like that could explain it to, you know, one of their friends or their family members. Yeah. So um, my favorite, okay. So in the realm of apologetics, my favorite argument to talk about is the Kalam cosmological argument, but that's not the one that I would give for the setting that you've just described because you just said, what if I'm talking to family and friends that don't know that much about apologetics? And so I'm wanting to give them one thing that's going to get them Christianity. Okay. Because, because the Kalam cosmological argument would get you God's existence maybe, but not, not Jesus, not Christianity. So I would give them a resurrection case. And I think that for casual conversations, um, I think for casual conversations like this, where I, I, I don't have time to maybe lay out all the reasons why. Now, we've done that on this channel, on our channel. Um, but, the, the what, but I think the simplest thing would be to do is to say, well, look, you know, there, there are actually certain facts about the life of Jesus that, though they're mentioned in the Bible, uh, the vast majority of historians and New Testament scholars, whether they're Christian or non-Christian or whatever, all affirm. And here are the ones that I like. Uh, the first one doesn't get mentioned a lot, but I think it's really important. Universally, scholars believe 
And there's always a couple of outliers that don't affirm this, but universally scholars believe that Jesus thought of himself and spoke about himself as though he was God's special agent to bring about the kingdom of God. Okay, that's, that's pretty powerful. Historians and New Testament scholars agree about that. That's pretty big. So it's like Jesus was walking around during his life saying, just watch my life and see what happens. You know, something special is going to happen with my life. Just watch. And, um, and, and then secondly, Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. We, uh, part, that's affirmed in a lot of ways. One thing is the greatest historian of ancient Rome, Cornelius Tacitus, um, mentions this. Um, Bart Ehrman uh, thinks that that is good reason to believe that this is the case. Um, John Dominic Crossan, who is a very liberal um, theologian, says that. So you, you've got these kind of things. Jesus died by Roman crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. So he said, watch my life, see what happens, basically. Um, he died by Roman crucifixion. And afterwards, his followers had experiences that at least they interpreted to be appearances of the risen Christ after his death. And then they were so convinced of this that they were willing to face serious persecution. And all the scholars, atheist, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, they all agree with that fact. Right. So well, not Muslim, but right. So so that so what does some Muslim scholars so if you take someone so you might get some pushback and say, well, yeah, but but hold on, Braxton. Um we don't know for sure that these disciples were willing to die for this claim. But you know what? Sean McDowell um, did his dissertation on this issue, and he was very fair with it. But using the um, criteria of, of historical investigation, he concluded that I think three of them pro- really had a high degree of certainty did, and that all of them were probably willing to face persecution and perhaps death for this claim. So what you have is, without even opening the Bible to show a friend this, I could say, look, this is what the, the, te- the people who are teaching historiography at the schools, the New Testament scholars across the religious spectrum, they affirm that Jesus existed. He thought of himself as God's special agent to bring about the kingdom. He died. His disciples had experiences that they claimed and believed were the risen Christ, and then they were willing to face serious persecution for that. So the best explanation for these facts is that Jesus rose from the dead. And then what we do next is, if anyone wanted to challenge that, we'd, we'd listen and we'd say, okay, does your other explanation, whatever that is, make as much sense as the explanation that Jesus rose from the dead? And I would go to that because even though, and I love talking about the resurrection, I like talking about the philosophical stuff. It's, it's just more fun for me. But to get right to the heart of Christianity, I just think you got to go to the resurrection. Yep. And I just did a... So save you time there. That's my favorite too. And he said exactly what I would say. But I would follow that, Susan, with this. I would say this. I don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but you know, most people aren't atheists. Most people believe in the supernatural and some sort of theism, right? So here's something that I think is pretty powerful. And and I don't hear people talk about this much. And this isn't like a, a slam dunk philosophical argument. This is more something that is based each step of it on inference to the best explanation. What makes the most sense out of this fact? If you believe that there's a God, if, if you can at least believe that there's a God, then, um, and I think the arguments that we have for God's existence are so great, but if you, can, if you can at least believe in God that intended creatures like us to exist, who can think and have these moral intuitions and all of these kinds of things, then what is the best explanation? that he created us relational beings 
but had no intention of communicating in some way with us or that such a God would want to communicate with us. I think it makes far more sense that he would want to communicate with us in some way. So then what we would do is the next step would be, let's start looking to see, is there, is there a religion in the world that, that, that seems to match or make the most sense of that? Well, if we look at, if we look at the, the religions in the world, I would maintain that the polytheistic religions don't work because they have these logical contradictions and things. There are three monotheistic religions that, that are, that, that, well, Judaism isn't as big as some others, but they, but it undergirds Christianity and Islam. So you've got these three monotheistic religions that have impacted the world, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Now, of course, I wouldn't be a Christian apologist worth my salt if I didn't say Judaism doesn't give you the Trinitarian God of the Bible, uh, but it stands behind all of that, right? Um, Islam obviously describes God vastly different enough that I think we can say that's not the same God we're talking about. Right. But what is important and interesting is all three religions, and these, these are the three big monotheistic religions in the world, and they're all pointing to the God of Abraham as the one true God, right? And interestingly, among those three religions that are all, so this is, this is uh, you know, Christianity and Islam alone, just these massive religions in our world today, pointing to the God of Abraham, and of the Abrahamic religions, you've got one of those religions that has a man who his followers said was the incarnate God, God incarnate, and never wrote anything down so far as we know, but his impact changed the world such that for sure Western civilization is built on the back of Christian Judeo principles, and he, has, he is the centerpiece of human history. So simply put, if you can at least believe there's a God, and he made relational human beings, and he began to look around, it, he would have wanted to communicate with us. Where did he likely do that? You stumble across these three monotheistic religions, all pointing, at least in name, to the God of Abraham. And among those, there's one man who is the centerpiece of all human history. I think that's a pretty darn good little case you go. that you could share with someone in a living room somewhere. Yeah, um, that was really good. Um, I think we covered everything, guys. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure um, people will find this information helpful. So, so. Um, anything else? Did you want to share anything else about your channel? Or Yeah, I mean, we're at, um, uh, uh, you can get us at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. And uh, listen, we've enjoyed being on your show, and we are in favor of more women in apologetics. Absolutely. I, I'd love it if I could know that, that my daughter was going to grow up and be a Christian apologet, apologist and start a channel and do what you're doing right now. And so um, we hope that we can partner with you in the future and maybe do some other things. Yeah, we'll have you on our show that will let you talk the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Be> better anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, thanks so much, Susan. Thanks for being here. Thanks awesome. for having me.